And if you would remain standing and grab your Bibles, make your way to Mark 15. We stand for the reading of God's Word here at Shorebreak. We believe His Word to be true. We believe the, the Bible are the inspired scriptures. They are the Word of God, and that's why we stand in honor and in reverence. Mark 15, verses 1 to verses 5, is where we are headed and what we are going to make our way through this morning. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, by your Holy Spirit, would you show us what we need to hear this morning? Would you convict us of where we need to be changed? Would you comfort us in areas where we struggle? Would you manifest your presence here among the praises of your people as we gather? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Hey, my name's Travis. Aloha to all of you. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I, I'm, I'm pastor specifically over preaching and teaching, and we are genuinely thankful and humbled that you would take your Sunday morning uh, this, this holiday weekend to be worshiping Jesus with us. Um, no matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, we're humbled and thankful that you took your Sunday to be here. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all, and you're here, and you're kind of exploring what it means to be a Christian, or you're, you think it might be the right thing, the, the good religious duty to be at church on Sunday. Uh, maybe you acknowledge that you don't have your life all together. I just want to let you know that the elephant in the room is that none of us have all this life all together. But that's why we're here. In fact, the Christians that have been born again by the grace of God are here to affirm alongside of you, all of us, even if you don't know Jesus, none of us have this life all together. That's why we need Jesus, because he is the one who holds all things together. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that we love. And so we're, we're glad that you're here this morning. We all need Jesus. And if you don't know him, that's why we've made our way through the scriptures so that you would see him as he is portrayed in the true word of God, and that you would come to know him. And if you know him, that you would be more amazed that even as we make our way through this well-known event where there's a lot of narrative happening, that you would be reacquainted with his grief and his sorrow and love him all the more. This is our God that we worship. This is why we've taken the time that we've carved out these last several months and every Sunday we make our way through the Gospel of Mark. Guys, listen, there's a danger in liking Christianity, but not actually loving Jesus. 
that we would simply go to church, but not actually, with the people of God, encounter the Christ who is the head over the church. There's a danger in us going through the gospel and doing all that we're doing right now, receiving good information, yet not actually hearing or being changed by good news. If our time is anything of those things like we just mentioned, then we are playing religion. And religion is not just a dangerous game to be played, it's actually damning. Religion is dangerous. Religion destroys. Religion kills. And we need no further evidence than the first five verses of Mark 15, looking at the events unfolding and surrounding Jesus' life. Verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Here we have Jesus, who in the beginning created all things. Paul told us in Colossians that Jesus is the glue that holds the atoms together, that keeps creation intact. He is in all things. All things exist for his glory, and he holds all things together. Yet here is God, the creator, manifest himself in Christ Jesus. One God existing eternally in three persons. God stepped out of heaven. Jesus, God, the Son, manifest in the flesh, yet arrested by his own creation. The breath and the lungs of those who hold them captive continue to breathe because of the sovereignty of the one they've arrested. And Jesus is on trial. The innocent Jesus is being tried as a criminal. The Prince of Peace has had war waged against him. Jesus is the one who healed and brought life to many, yet here he's being abused and having his life taken from him. And notice this, it isn't Roman soldiers, it isn't Roman leaders, it isn't even the Gentile pagans who were trying to make this happen. It's the religious. That's how dangerous religion is. This is the plot twist. This is the ironic tragedy that those who claimed to know God, to worship God, and to love God are now here at the breaking of dawn as soon as it was morning, between five and six. Notice this. It's almost like as though Mark is like ex just showing us, exploiting to us the controversy here. The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, which would include the Pharisees. So all the religious elites, everyone important in religion was there. You had the priests, which they would have been over temple worship. You have the scribes, which they were in charge of preserving the Old Testament scriptures, the word of God, copies of the, the Old Testament Bible. Then you have the elders. They, they're overseeing um, the synagogue. Worship in the, the local synagogue of the communities. And then the chief priests. You have all of the religious heavyweights there in this evil, unethical trial, yet these religious men have innocent blood on their hands. 
These men have shouted lies at the innocent Jesus, yet here is the sovereign standing in innocent silence. What's their verdict? Blasphemy. What's the sentence? It's the punishment of the crime. Death. Crucifixion on a cross. And in this moment, in this trial, as they're handing him over to Pilate, Jesus has had a bag placed over his head. The very saliva glands which he created of his enemies are now are spitting upon him and cursing him with a bag over his head, abusing him because he cannot brace for the punches that come. When you see a punch coming, you're able to brace for it. With a bag over his head, it causes the most blunt force trauma to its victims, which is what they wanted. And as their fists flew and they hit our Savior, they said, prophesy, who just hit you? Whose fist is this king of the Jews? Mocking him. And the whole Sanhedrin, <laughs> they're all there. You guys, not, they, they, none of these group of people ever were together the whole Sanhedrin together, hardly ever agreeing on anything. They had their disagreements. They did not agree on all things, but they all agreed on one thing. They wanted Jesus gone. The whole Sanhedrin is there, which meant, which meant Joseph of Arimathea would have been there. Joseph of Arimathea, he was the one who was going to, as in other gospel accounts, take the body of Jesus after he was crucified and give him a proper burial. He worked with the Pharisees. Um, you also have Nicodemus, Right from John chapter 3, who had the conversation with Jesus at midnight? He probably would have been there too. No doubt these men, disgusted and frustrated at the events that are unfolding before him. But when, when we read here the council, they held a consultation. That is speaking of the, the Sanhedrin here in verse 1. The majority of the council, not everyone, but the majority of the council resolved to hand this criminal now over to Pilate. So they had Jesus in their hands for long enough. Now they want him at arm's length. They don't want Jesus around anymore. They need Rome to do the dirty work that they've started. And that is one of the marks of religion. Religion, the more the marks of religion is doing things supposedly in the name of God, but keeping God at arm's length. Not being near to him, not being close to God, not being relational with God. Even if you note earlier um, from what we studied last week at the end of Mark 14, Peter, after saying he, he was going to religiously devote himself to following Jesus, how is he following Jesus? He's following him at a distance, keeping him at arm's length. And then here in verse 1, if you read the second half of verse 1, the whole council they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him. That is the same, those are the same similar words that were used for Judas. When Judas delivered Jesus over, when Judas delivered him over to the religious people who came to arrest him. See, the very ones who are supposed to be leading people closer into a relationship with God are now as guilty as Judas. Think of how evil what Judas did. 
how evil that was. They are as guilty as Judas now. They've betrayed Jesus. They are betraying God. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus, for Judas, was getting in the way. And so Judas, he, he betrays him. He collects his 30 um, pieces of silver and, betra- and, and, and betrays him, hands him over. And in other words, what Judas is saying, Jesus isn't my problem anymore. I'm going to keep him at arm's length. And now the religious have Jesus. And what are they saying? We don't, we, we're done with dealing with Jesus. We had enough of him. Let's keep him at arm's length and let's hand him over to the Romans. They thought they could push Jesus aside and not deal with him any longer. And how did that go for Judas? Probably in this very morning, he's in the outskirts of the walls of Jerusalem looking for a rope to hang himself. Didn't go well. How is this going to go well for the religious, the council? They're going to give an answer to God for what they've done. It might seem like in this text, even as we're reading it, they're getting away with it. Even if you go through the book of Acts, it almost seems as though they're getting away with it. But they will not get away with this betrayal. No one can escape Jesus. Not religious people 2,000 years ago, not Judas, and not you and me. Jesus, he isn't a problem. We can just hand over to someone else. You deal with Jesus for me. You have faith for Jesus for me. You have to reconcile with Jesus. You have to figure out what you are going to do with Jesus because no one can hand over Jesus or simply ignore Jesus. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said that the end of every soul, when we breathe our last on this earth and we stand before God in his presence, only two things will be said to the billions of people that have ever lived on this earth. You and I will stand before our maker one day and Jesus said, you will hear either one of two things. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Or depart from me. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. I never, what, knew you personal, intimate, knowing the God of this universe. Jesus is warning the religious tendencies of sinful man because religious people will say those type of things like, I'm doing these things for God, but they've kept God at arm's length. Jesus went on in Matthew 7 to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, whose name are they using? The Lord's name. But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father will. And Jesus is going to hear the arguments of the religious. Yeah, but God, we prophesied in your name, right? We tithed. We served. We sang the songs. We prophesied. We did all these things in your name. But Jesus is going to say to them one day, I never knew you. It's not about doing. It's about knowing. 
It's about knowing and loving and worshiping Jesus. Don't push Jesus aside. Don't think Jesus is a problem that you can hand off. Do not keep him at arm's length lest you hear him say to you, I never knew you. I want every single one of you to hear Jesus, the judge of all creation, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why we planted this church. That's why we're here preaching the word Sunday in and Sunday out so that we, together, as the people of God, would hear those things. The religious people here, they had the right book. They had the right God. They even had a lot of the right information going on through their mind. But they were, what they knew never changed them. That's religion. Knowledge without inward renewal and transformation. And God never intended his people to simply know about, to know about him without being changed. What we know and learn about God is always meant for our transformation. Jesus doesn't just want to intellectually stimulate you and I when we open the word and are in the scriptures and are with the people of God and gather on Sunday morning. It's not what he wants from you and me. He wants you to know him. Some of us, you're like, oh, you know, you got your team. Whatever your team is, you got your team, right? Seahawks or LeBron's your boy or whatever, whoever, I don't know. Or you're, you know, maybe you're like, I'm not into sports, so you just lost me. Okay, pick an actor or an actress, I don't know. Favorite artist, you know, whatever. You're like, yeah, I know him. And you do know him, right? Like, you, you know their height, you know their weight, you know their, their shooting, hitting, whatever average percentages. Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about right now. You're like, yeah, I know LeBron. I, I know him. No, you don't. You're just a stalker. <laughs> just a, you don't actually know him. You don't have a relationship with him. And what I'm afraid of is that some of us are like fanboys of Christianity and we know it's right and you're right for knowing that it's right. But do you actually know him or are you just a fanboy? Fanboys of God murdered God. It should sober you and me. I'm like, man, take it easy, Travis. I'm saying this because I love you. The religious encountered Jesus, talked with Jesus, were confronted by Jesus, yet they were never healed, never changed, never forgiven of their sins. To fill our minds with information, yet never experience heart transformation is religion and it's my personal fear that i would be and my peer, fear for me and our, the fear for this church is that we would be convicted by the word that we would receive these things to be true that we would be emotionally stirred and then we wake up monday morning and our lives are exactly the same we have to ask ourselves the question is the gospel is the word of god actually changing me internally are my thoughts being transformed by what I read here? Is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me so much that I feel convicted for my sin? And a verse comes up when I'm tempted to do something that is against God. And the way that I live my life. I'm not saying perfectly. Have I, we have not said perfect this morning. But progressively becoming more like Christ. 
We desperately need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Abide in him. Pray. Be in the word. Ask him to help you. Even the song like Carl sang for us earlier, Lord, I believe, but what help my unbelief? Be real with him. Know him. If we're going to avoid religion, we must ask ourselves the question regularly and constantly. How am I, how is my learning bringing about change in my life? What areas of my life need to be renewed by the gospel? And when we say gospel, I'm not saying for the non-Christian. I am saying that for the non-Christian, but I'm also talking to the Christian. Because Paul made it pretty clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that the power by which you have been saved, by which you received, and by which you are presently being saved is the gospel. In other words, you and I never, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. The gospel saves us and the gospel sustains us. The gospel sanctifies us. We desperately need to focus on the gospel. That is how we avoid the pitfall of religion by which these men here did not. And you know what? The facade of religion will only last for so long. Even Pilate can see through their seething rage and other gospel accounts, he can see their envy. We'll unpack more of the account of the. the of Pilate, and we'll talk about them more next week, but verse 2, Pilate asked him, Jesus, are you king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Like, are you king of the Jews, Jesus? Because you look half human right now. You've been mocked. You've been shamed. You've been beaten. You're in chains. And I almost hear Pilate saying, okay, so they're Jews. And you're, you're the king of the Jews. Almost like, what a pathetic man you are. What a king you are. King of the Jews? And Pilate, Jesus to Pilate's like, you have said so. The last words and read the last words spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark before Jesus is hung on the cross. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Many things what? Of all the testimonies that they tried to bring up, but the main thing being that Jesus claimed to be God. That is why Jesus died. He claimed to be God. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Pilate sees where this is going. He sees the brevity of the situation, and he is trying to say, Jesus, don't you have a better defense than you said so? Can't you see that they're trying to kill you? Don't you see they're plotting against you? Don't you have anything more to say? These guys want you dead, and the only defense that you have for yourself is, you said so? I wonder how many criminals have stood before the powerful Pilate pleading on their hands and knees, begging for their life to be spared as criminals. Pilate, save me. Yet here is this innocent man not begging or pleading for his life. Yet he's not speaking. Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Out of the thousands of criminals Pilate had seen, he was amazed. 
He's never seen anything like this before. Because Jesus is not a king like earthly kings, and that is not something Pilate could understand. And so Jesus affirms that he is the king of the Jews. But in John 18, 36, Jesus elaborates a little bit more to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world, Pilate. Pilate should have asked a little bit more then. Like, so what? Is it like cosmic? Like, what kind of kingdom do you have? And if he had gotten an answer, and if Jesus had spoken and, and, and talked and gave his word, I'm just my paraphrase. Jesus didn't actually say it. It's like the remix version. But in other words, my kingdom would smoke your kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying there. Call on legions of angels. My, my 12 would have fought for me. Jesus did say that. If my kingdom was of this world, my, 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 boy, my guys would have fought for me. Yes, Pilate, I am the king of the Jews, but I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am God in the flesh, but my kingdom is not of this world. They kept accusing him, the religious, yet he stood silent. How well do you do? How well do you respond to accusations? Maybe they're lies against you. Maybe someone's gossiping or just slandering or they're speaking their agenda or you, they take what you say and they bend it to fit whatever they're trying to make it mean and you get angry, you feel disrespected, right? You're hurt when people talk to you that way. Is our first response to be silent? Married couples, is our first response to be silent, right? It doesn't just take married people, even single people like, my roommate, you should have, right? Exactly. We are quick to defend. We're quick to jump into the fray to defend ourselves. Why? Because our reputation is at stake. But why did Jesus stay silent here? When it wasn't his reputation that was at stake, it was his very life that was at stake. Why did Jesus stay silent? Because Jesus owes no man an answer. Paul, even in Romans 9, and talking about God's choice of salvation and his grace. And the problem and the struggle that we have with that, Paul's rebuttal to that is, who are you, O man, to answer to God? How can we ever expect we can demand an answer from God? By the way, it's just a grace that you and I have Jesus ever giving us his word and ever giving us answers for anything. Yeah, you know what? Oftentimes we feel entitled to those things. He owes no. The reason Jesus, for one, remains silent is he doesn't have, for, have to answer to any man. Think about this. He is the king of kings. Why would the king of kings have to answer to some fake king? Pilate's not going to be king forever, but Jesus will, so he doesn't owe him an answer. Another reason why Jesus doesn't give him an answer is because Jesus isn't really a prisoner here, is he? Pilate's the prisoner. Jesus isn't really on trial, is he? Pilate is because he's going to have to stand before God one day and give an answer to what he said and how he handled Jesus. The only reason Jesus did not give an answer, please hear me on this, not the only one of the many reasons Jesus did not give an answer is because he willingly Lay down his life for you. 
This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7, which the prophet Isaiah spoke of many years before Jesus' time. He was pressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Is that not what's being fulfilled in our very, before our very eyes? The reason Jesus stood silent was because he was the lamb of God. who is coming to take away the sins of the world. And the suffering servant Savior is glorifying God in this moment and saving a people for himself. Do you see how great Jesus is compared to us? See how great Jesus is compared to our first father, Adam? Like, that's the vast difference between our first father, Adam, which we all inherited sin from Adam, and our second greater father, which Paul calls the second greater Adam, is Jesus. See, there in the garden, Adam was a guilty criminal, and he tried to excuse himself from his sin. Yet Jesus, the greater second Adam, was innocent, yet did not defend himself, did he? And we learn that no words, no religious activity, no good deeds that we do, no sincere attempt to excuse ourselves from our guilt will ever do. No excuse we ever throw up to God will ever do we can never excuse ourselves from our own sin but the innocent jesus who did not defend himself will take our place and pardon us from our sin so that we can be what excused from our sin through who through his blood this is not just good information though it is Right? This is good news. The gospel isn't just information. The gospel is a life-altering event. He was silent before criminals so we could speak before our Father. He was blamed even though he was innocent. So we, who are not innocent, but criminals, would be blameless. Jesus doesn't save us to good ideas. Jesus doesn't save us to a good religion. Jesus saves us to a new way of life. New life, being born again. Judas will give an answer to God for what he did with Jesus. The whole council will give an answer to God for what they did with Jesus. And we will give an answer to God for what we did with Jesus. What will you hear at the end of your life? I never knew you or well done.
Father God, we pray by the power of your spirit and your grace that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not because we can work for our salvation. That is so clear. Jesus had to do everything for us. But we need Jesus to be our advocate. We need Jesus to be our substitute. We need to believe in Jesus, not to keep Jesus at arm's length, but to personally know him. And as we're praying with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus, know him this morning. Believe on his name. And the Spirit of God will dwell in you and enable you to live a life that you could never live on your own. It's not about religion, but it's about knowing the God who created you. You were made to know God and to enjoy him forever. So know him. Confess your sins. And Christians, may the Holy Spirit convict us of any area we have strayed from gospel centrality, from Jesus being the centerpiece of our whole life. God, we pray this and we thank you in your name. Amen.